Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and this season we're looking at Matthew's Gospel, the parables, and thinking about the the gap between Sunday and Monday, between uh, the real world and, and the world of faith. And uh, this week we have a, a tough parable about um, God as a... a vineyard owner who pays everybody the same amount for unequal work. And it it starts to just get at the issues of fairness and mercy and inclusion um, and, and how we accept God's mercy that God extends to other people and other groups. So without further ado, we'll get pondering. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. As humans, we are wired at a very young age to want justice. They uh, did this study that was once on 60 Minutes. You can YouTube it. And it involved puppets and children who couldn't yet speak. And the study was actually about tribalism and bias and uh, justice within uh, these sort of prelingual children. And what they found out through these experiments um, was that uh, children really loved the, the puppet that they had seen uh, bring about justice. So I think there were like two Muppets, we'll call them Muppet A and B, and B wronged A, and then somehow C, Muppet C came along and then did something to Muppet B, like took something back from him. And it, it turned out that um, people didn't like B and these little children, again, who couldn't speak, they didn't like Muppet B, but they really liked Muppet C. <laughs> so they knew that Muppet B had done something wrong, and they really liked it that C had come along and sort of chastised or punished or even hurt Muppet B. Again, as humans, we are wired for justice. And so we then come along to this parable, which just 
oh, it just rubs me the wrong way, right? Um, there's all of these people who work in a vineyard, and they work different amounts of hours, yet they all get paid the same. And I just want to scream out, that's not fair. Right? Of all the seven deadly sins, sloth is the one that I probably least can abide. Oh, you know, and, and so it's just, it's just not just not fair how it, it rolls itself out here in this parable. And so I'm curious in your own life, uh, how important is a sense of justice to you? And what happens when in your work or in your family, uh, you know, or maybe a celebrity, when somebody gets away with something that they should have been punished for? Uh, you know, what's, what's your response? The other funny thing, though, is that when, <laughs> when we do something wrong, or maybe a very close loved one, it's kind of funny how at that point, though, we um, really don't want the strict judgment. <laughs> right? At that point, we really want the judge whom we have, be it the teacher, uh, the referee, the, the official, the boss, whomever, to be merciful, right? So when it comes to people uh, getting punished for what they do wrong, we tend to really want our pound of flesh and justice. But when it comes to us, we tend to be a little bit more hoping for for mercy. So again, I invite you to think about what your own response to, to justice is um, and, and mercy. But what's going on in this parable that I think really uh, makes it pretty, an even tougher pill to swallow, is that it's not simply about how humans interact with one another. Uh, Jesus isn't, again, sort of giving moral advice about how we should treat each other. He's actually talking about how God treats us as humans. And the reason why this is pretty clear that this is about God is because Jesus is saying, look, this is like the kingdom of heaven. But he also says that this is in a vineyard. And the vineyard is an important metaphor in Scripture. Uh, it, it harkens back in some ways even to the Garden of Eden. But it, also in the prophet Isaiah, in many ways the most important of the prophetic uh, writings. Uh, Isaiah has this vision that he, he declares about how the Lord says that the Lord made a vineyard, and that vineyard was Israel. And in fact, in the Gospels, uh, this vineyard will come up as Jesus talks in, in the different Gospels, uh, using this, this metaphor of a vineyard, whether uh, it's a vineyard that was trampled on, or even in John's gospel, I am the vine and you are the branches. So, so when Jesus is talking about the vineyard, this really suggests that God is at work here. And so this then is how God chooses to interact with us. And what that suggests is that God's love and God's mercy aren't fair, right? God's love and God's mercy are not fair because God is actually doing something unjust by forgiving somebody. Like, if God forgives somebody something, well, that means that there was something that wasn't repaid. This isn't, this isn't right. Or to put it another way, on a more personal level, when you're struggling with what somebody has done to you, what does it make you feel to recognize that, well, it turns out that God also is forgiving that person for what they've done to you. 
long before you've forgiven them, God already has. Even if they haven't made restitution. Oh yeah, there's something that's hard and unfair about God's love and God's forgiveness and God's mercy. And so I invite you to kind of think about that um, in your own life. And of course we want God to be merciful to us when we make mistakes, but are we as excited about God being merciful to others? And there's plenty of stories in the Bible, uh, the older brother of the prodigal, in the prodigal son story, the prophet Jonah, that show just how much trouble people have when uh, God is merciful. I want to connect, though, the Sunday and Monday gap here. We've been pondering this fall. And this passage seems to have almost no application at first to our life on Monday. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't run a business like this, right? You can't do something where uh, everybody does different amounts, but you all get the same pay. That just doesn't seem to really uh, work. I mean, we all know if this is, if you're an employer and this was your policy, on Monday, the workers would grumble a little bit, but Tuesday, everybody's showing up one hour before uh, to, <laughs> to collect their full day's uh, wages. So there's a certain way in which Jesus as CEO really fails in this passage to, to move the ball ahead or to really offer us much sort of moral insight into how to live our lives. Monday through Saturday. But what I find uh, encouraging is that God keeps going out and finding more people, and God brings in people who weren't sort of first rate. <laughs> uh, God brings in people who, you know, may be lazy or um, maybe had something going on with their family. They couldn't, they couldn't get out of the house early, um, right? People with all sorts of reasons why they weren't there at the beginning of the day, and yet God puts them to use. And I find it really beautiful in a family, in a church, or in a community when there can be a way to make room for people who don't seem to have all the sort of the, you can put it in terms of like a baseball, like a five, you know, a five tool player, right? Um, I remember when I was in uh, Tanzania once, there was this uh, one village and our car, the car we were in, the van started having real trouble. And so we drove to this one kind of off-the-road village, and we were kind of, I was, you know, sitting in the back, just kind of bewildered and overwhelmed by the whole thing, but we pulled over, and they brought out this man who was blind, and they helped him walk to the car. They lifted up the lid, and he, like, touched stuff, tightened something, changed, like, said they needed this part or something. Like, this blind guy was the mechanic, and he fixed it. He fixed the car. And I just couldn't believe it that this, that this village, as poor as they were, as few resources as they had, decided to honor this person and keep them a part of it and, and make him the, the blind mechanic that actually worked. And I think that's the really beautiful and powerful thing when a community can find a way, a job, a family, to somehow utilize the more limited gifts of somebody and still have them find a place of honor and reward. And so I'm curious where in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church, um, in your workplace, where you've seen people who often maybe have a more limited skill set still find a way to, um, to be part of, of the work of the vineyard. Some of you may say that I've gone a little bit too far, that I'm missing the mark. Clearly this parable 
is about God's mercy for all people whenever they get on board and that uh, we should be reminded that God is loving us and therefore be okay when God loves others. And what probably is in the back of our mind is a story of, you know, somebody famous, likely like a Rockefeller, who their whole life kind of does whatever they want, you know, plays to the pleasures of their id. And then finally, at the end of their life, after hurting all these other people throughout their lives, with one hour left on their deathbed, they accept Jesus, and, and therefore they're going to heaven and their family can rest assured, in spite of the fact, again, that they've done nothing their whole life, but more or less worship the powers of darkness. Well, yes, that is on our minds, and that does make us upset, but I actually don't think that's what this parable is really about. I think this parable is actually about inclusion. And the reason why I say that is, first of all, the issue that I just talked about of somebody sort of not following Jesus until the very end when they sort of just want their get-out-of-jail card, that actually isn't an issue in the New Testament. I mean, if I'm wrong, point it out to me. But I don't see anywhere in all the letters of Paul or the Gospels or anywhere else where this seems to be what happens, where people wait on the fence until the end where they can just sort of get the benefits of Jesus with, without the work. That, that just doesn't seem to be an issue in the New Testament. The issue in the New Testament is the inclusion and the acceptance of other groups of people into the kingdom of God. So for Hebrew-speaking Christians, can they accept Gentile or Greek-speaking Christians? And for the Gentile Christians, to what extent must they become Jewish in order to be a Christian? This is the issue that just dominates uh, the New Testament, whether it's Paul's uh, letters. I mean, Romans in many ways is just all about this issue. Galatians, Paul's conflict with Peter about Peter not willing to eat with uncircumcised people, the book of Acts, you know, chapter 6, where there's this conflict between the Greek and Hebrew-speaking widows over food, you know, whether it's the Gospel of John and the, the, the sort of linguistic allusion to the fact that Christian or, yeah, Jewish converts to Christianity were getting kicked out of synagogues. So how sort of this intercultural rejection and acceptance just permeates the, the whole New Testament. And in that way, I think a really fair interpretation of this parable is that this is a humbling reminder to the Jews who sort of come to Christianity that they're the ones who have started laboring in the beginning, but they will have to make room for other people. And I would even uh, say that if, again, we're listening through Western individual ears, so we think about this in terms of individuals getting invited to the kingdom of heaven. But individuals aren't invited. It's groups who are invited in this parable. And again, I think this this parable is much more about how groups of people accept each other. And I think this is something um, that is not simply a New Testament issue. I also would offer that this is a, a human issue. At the beginning of the podcast, I was talking about this 60 Minutes special that had Muppets and children, and it was sort of the instinct for justice. But one of the experiments they did, they had um, two Muppets. One would eat the kind of the favorite food of the kid and the other Muppet would eat the food that the kid didn't like or something like this. And the kid would always want to play with the Muppet that liked the same food. And that's no surprise. 
But then the Muppet that ate the other food, like the cheese puffs instead of the Cheerios. Well, a third Muppet will come along and hurt that Muppet. And kids wanted to be, kids wanted to play with the Muppet that hurt the Muppet that ate something different. It's like we are so wired to be with people that are like us and to be okay excluding and hurting people that are not like us. And so I think this is why the New Testament picks up this theme, because this is, this is a core on God's heart, that finally all of God's children would, would somehow be able to come together. And it's going to take something miraculous, the death and resurrection of Jesus, in order to, to even make this possible through the power of the Spirit. Now I want to pick up then thinking about the Sunday to Monday gap. And here I want to humbly offer that in some ways, this is not uh, the case where Sunday is great and Monday is not great. In many ways, actually, the world talks a lot more right now about diversity than in some ways the church. And for many people, their experience Monday through Saturday is far more in a diverse world than their experience on Sunday. And Sundays are often a very homogeneous experience. As Martin Luther King Jr. said three generations ago almost, right? The most segregated time in America, Sunday morning. And we've seen then over the last uh, two or three generations as Americans have by and large continued to segregate themselves by class, by race, by language, by um, political preferences, you know, people moving different states, people moving within communities, in zip codes, to the point where, again, many people live by neighbors that vote, act, behave very similar to they do now. And that the, the church, which is so local in its expression, often just reflects this tendency rather than in some way sort of stands against it. And so for, for many people, again, their worlds are kind of homogeneous, but the church is often one of the most homogeneous parts of, of their experience. And in fact, as a broader society, especially within sort of the uh, educated progressive class, there becomes this real critique of the church that the church is either not diverse enough as it is, but also seeming to oppose diversity, either um, LGBTQ issues or racial issues, all sorts of things. Again, there's a perception by the world, especially again with the educated progressive class in America, that the, the church is, is um, not on board or even hostile to this vision of diversity, which again isn't consistent with the witness of the New Testament, but in many ways this is how Christians and Christian churches are often practicing. So where do we go from here? Well, a number of churches that are often populated by uh, educated progressives uh, fret this and really want then the church to be more diverse, and they trip over themselves trying to prove how diverse their community is or how accepting their community is. And um, in response, their community typically actually becomes just whiter and wealthier, older and smaller, um, rather than sort of actually the tent becoming expanded. And the reason why the early church was able to, to become this incredibly sort of transnational corporation, so to speak, of, of people of different languages and tribes is because in the teachings of Jesus Christ, it found something that was 
universally accessible, but also universally countercultural, right? There was something about Jesus that rubs against every culture. And it presents a vision of the way the world ought to work that isn't the way it is. And it's compelling and it's challenging and it's haunting. And so I think there was a way in, in which the, the church was able to draw people because it was offering something different, um, especially in terms of how humans could care for each other and, and God's sense of, of, of mercy and justice. And I also think that it's at this core, this, this powerful sense of forgiveness meant that each one of us as individuals, as, as collectives, has to recognize our own need for redemption. And therefore, we can't hoard our spiritual superiority or, or boast about it over anybody else, but all stand before the cross. And, and that this sort of allows there to be two tribes in humanity, uh, those who have sinned and those who haven't, and the ones of those who haven't turns out to only be one person who chooses to embrace us in his tribe. And ultimately, then this powerful story of resurrection, that there's always hope and, and new life. And so my, my sense is that the, there is a, a gap um, really here between the Sunday lived experience and the heavens, which really are sort of the great chorus of people all over the world from all nations and all tribes praising the living Lord. And so I think this parable today, um, I would just encourage us to think about how our own congregations um, can ground themselves in, in the word in a way that can actually open up doors to people who might not necessarily look, act, or even vote like the majority in whatever congregation you're in. So hopefully that's enough to ponder uh, this week and blessings on the rest of your day.